In a constantly changing world, the ability to change one's mental models and explore new ways to adapt is a competitive advantage. Philip Hensler Welcome to this second episode of the Contextual Intelligence Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about Chapter 1, What is Contextual Intelligence? And the chapter starts off with an example, a real-life example. Names have been changed uh, to protect uh, the innocent. Uh, details are changed. But uh, it starts out with the story of Julie, who was a, an executive for a multi-billion dollar organization. And Julie actually has been a long time developing her leadership capacity. In fact, leadership development was a passion of hers. And in fact, she hired me to take her and her team through the contextual intelligence profile. And what was interesting about that is after the workshop, she actually was walking me back to her or to my car after after the event and just, you know, thanking me and what a great event it was. And, and they never knew it could be so valuable in you know, all the traditional things that, that I guess you're supposed to say. But one of the things she told me, and this was really the first time that I recognized and realized how valuable contextual intelligence might be as something more than just a leadership, a decision-making model, leadership development uh, idea, or, or anything in that management space, a corporate executive kind of space. But she said to me that uh, had she known about these ideas and principles years ago, that she wouldn't be divorced right now. And, and that really hit me very hard and resonated very powerfully with me as I began to think about all the implications where contextual intelligence could fit in. It was really then that I began to see and understand that this is not just a model for leaders. This is not just a model for performance and for doing well and for becoming the person you want to be and extending and growing the influence you'd like to have, but it actually applies to other dimensions and aspects of our life. And in that sense became, at least for me, a, a, a holistic model of performance and leadership development. And that was a big pivotal and key moment for me. And we go on to talk more about Julie and, and some other uh, vignettes and things. But basically, contextual intelligence is about being able to diagnose the environment that you're in. And it's about taking and identifying uh, it's about identifying first the variables that are influencing a particular situation. And then after that, recognizing and taking that information and making the right decision uh, according to what you are currently understanding your situation and context to be. And in a nutshell, we can describe that process as the four R process. And could people ask me all the time, well, all right, so you've, you've said now a few times that one of the things we need to do is be able to identify the variables, identify the factors that are influencing a situation. Well, how do I do that in a fast paced, busy environment where I'm looking uh, to get some things done? I don't have time to be be a student of, of my environment. And well, the first thing I would say to that is, well, yes, you do. You can't afford not to be a student of your environment. But for the sake of providing a model or a framework by which we can start to look for uh, those variables and factors that influence our situations and our context, I developed this 4R model. And the 4R model or the 4R process of navigating context is, I call it in the book, and it consists of four R's, recognizing, reordering, responding, and reflecting. And recognizing is about identifying the shifting dimensions in a situation or an environment. Reordering 
ordering then are the behaviors that are deemed important in that situation. So basically what happens is you recognize a shift. You recognize something is changing. There's an attitude is changing. An idea was just thrown out. Someone uh, was added to the conversation or someone was taken away from the conversation. Whatever it is, there's a shift in the dimension of what's going on around you. And that can be a physical, geographical shift, a natural shift, or it can also be something uh, uh, less tangible like an attitude or an idea or or just fatigue. I mean, any any of those factors, a new a new a burst of energy enters the room for for something, whatever. So whatever it is, you recognize that shift. Once you recognize that shift, then immediately what needs to happen is a reordering of the behaviors that are deemed important in that situation. So we immediately begin to reassess the metric of the metrics of success. So every time the environment shifts, which it does often, okay, so frequently the environment is shifting. So if we're going through our day or through a meeting or through a particular interaction, thinking that there's not much going on by the way of attitudes, perceptions, feelings, etc., then we are sorely mistaken because things are shifting and changing all the time. So once we become alert to and aware of those shifts, one of the things that it should prompt in us is the question, all right, so what was important before I recognized the shift and what is important now that I've recognized the shift? And that's constantly shifting, that reordering of priorities and the reordering of what is deemed important and those metrics of success are always changing. So we need to ask those questions. The other thing we want to understand is after we reorder, then we need to respond correctly to the new metric of success. We need to respond to the new thing that's viewed to be or deemed to be important. And then after we make those changes, then we reflect, which is the fourth R. We reflect on the process. We reflect on what's happening relative to the change. So again, the four R's are recognizing, reordering, responding, and reflecting. And by implementing that model and that framework into our situational awareness or our contextual awareness, it fosters us being alert to what's going on around us. And like I said a moment ago, it helps us become a better student of our environment. Not that we become a student and an expert to the sense where I can tell you what's going on, but the whole reason and purpose behind these types of questions or this this process is so that we can ask better questions. Because again, I am a firm believer that leadership in a complex world, leadership in a turbulent world, leadership in an uncertain world uh, is not marked or indicated by solving problems. And, and it used to be, we used to think that, well, what leaders need to do to be effective and to, to show their worth and their value is solve problems for people, solve problems for teams, identify problems and then solve them. And that's just simply not the case anymore. I'm a firm believer that what the leader needs to do in the era in which we now find ourselves is not only solving problems, but it's also asking better questions. In fact, that's a huge shift in the priorities, a huge shift in the reordering matrix of what even makes leadership successful. The successful leader today isn't one who can solve problems. The successful leader today is one who has learned how to ask better questions.
And implementing this R4 process or the 4R process helps us ask better questions, which is the cornerstone of leadership. And I think that's critically, critically important. The other important aspect of chapter one in this book is it outlines that the 4R process, but it also then lists in introduces each of the 12 contextual intelligence behaviors. What's interesting is the research that I did on this, uh, we were able to identify 12 specific behaviors that contextually intelligent people practice at a higher frequency than other people. Uh, there's nothing magical about these 12 behaviors. These are just standard leadership behaviors, but what makes them unique and what this contextual intelligence profile is based off of, which we'll talk about in a later podcast, is is how frequently we practice these 12 behaviors, and then more importantly, how these 12 behaviors converge together, how they're related together. There, there are a litany of lists of leadership behaviors, uh, some short, some long, and, and this particular list, the contextual intelligence list, happens to consist of 12 behaviors, but what's unique is not the 12 behaviors, but the relationship between the 12 behaviors. And that's something that's very, very important. So, so that's why we measure the frequency of practice instead of uh, the presence or the magnitude of, of each behavior. By, by measuring the frequency in which they're practiced, we can look to see if there's any behavior that is practiced at a significantly lower frequency than some of the other behaviors. And that's a big indication then that contextual intelligence is not happening. So contextual intelligence is happening when each of these 12 behaviors is practiced symmetrically, okay? So what are the 12 behaviors? So I have them here listed in alphabetical order. In other parts of the book there, they, we later divide them into three groups of four behaviors. There's a foresight group, uh, insight group, and a hindsight group. But here in chapter one, we just simply list them in order. So I'll read them to you here. Number one, change agent. This demonstrates the courage to raise difficult and challenging questions that others may perceive as a threat to the status quo. The second behavior is communitarian. And this is this demonstrates involvement in community and civic responsibility and embraces civic obligations wholeheartedly. And I'd like to just add a caveat to that is the civic obligations, it's implied. And what we mean by that is local, local government, local organization, local issues. Okay, that's important. The third consensus builder. This is demonstrating collaboration by convincing others of the value of a common or different point of view. Number four is critical thinker. This person or the critical thinker connects disconnected ideas and experiences. Five, diagnosis context. This is interpreting and responding to shifts and changes in one's surroundings and then can identify what contributed to that shift. Number six, the constructive use of influence. This demonstrates the effective use of different types of power in developing and promoting a specific or targeted image. Number seven, cognitive diversity or also known as embracing diverse ideas. This is the person who aligns diverse ideas by creating and facilitating opportunities for people with different backgrounds and different experiences and different ways of thinking to interact in a non-discriminatory manner. Number eight, future-mindedness. This person sees beyond, or this behavior helps you see beyond the contradictions or obstacles to a future that others cannot yet see. This person or this behavior helps a person articulate that future to others with clarity 
uh, and succinctly. So that's really, really important part of this. And influencer is the next one, number nine. This person demonstrates skill by non-coercively affecting the actions and decisions of others. Seven, I'm, I'm sorry, 10, uh, intentional leadership. This is the person who demonstrates awareness of and is proactive concerning their strengths and weaknesses. 11, mission-mindedness, recognizes how performance, attitudes, and actions influence what others perceive to be true about people or organizations they claim to represent. What's interesting about this definition of mission-mindedness is it's not what we might instinctively think about mission-mindedness. Normally, when we talk about being mission-minded, we talk, we think about our company's vision statement, the strategic plan, the mission, the core values, and can I practice and, and recite or rehearse to you what our mission is of our organization? That's not what we mean by mission-minded. In this case, again, I'll read it again. A mission-minded person recognizes how their performance, attitude, and actions influence what others perceive to be true about the organization they represent. In other words, it's reputation management. Okay, that's huge. And then the last one, number 12, multicultural leadership builds rapport with culturally and ethnically diverse individuals. In other words, there's an intentional effort being made to collaborate with people who not only think differently, because that's number seven, cognitive diversity, but people who actually come from and have a different background. So again, let me just list all 12 for you quickly here in alphabetical order. Change agent, communitarian, consensus builder critical thinker, diagnosis context, constructive use of influence, cognitive diversity or embraces diverse ideas, future-minded, influencer, intentional leader, mission-minded, and multicultural leadership. What's interesting about those 12 behaviors is then each of them is practiced within what we call later in chapter one, the contextual intelligence ethos. Right. And the contextual intelligence ethos then is something that's filtered through the understanding of different factors, large mega context factors or macro factors. Uh, that's how we label them in the book that affect an outcome or, or a situation. So, for example, some macro factors. Uh, Context or macro factors would be religion, morality, uh, beliefs and standards, history, personal ideology, your personal politics, your experience, culture, government, ethnicity, economics, laws, uh, and, and rules that, that govern a particular area or region, media, technology, uh, all of those things kind of uh, go into form the contextual ethos. The other thing that we need to outline in this book, the Latin word for context is texture or contexture, and it actually means to weave together. It's 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 the it's where we get the word textiles from, which is kind of an interesting thing. So when we think about textiles and fabrics and things like that, and all the different colors of fabrics, the different textures of fabric. So context is about texture, right? And it's about creating a tapestry that's put together and built from several different types of fabrics and textures of fabrics. And when they're put all together appropriately, you get this beautiful tapestry. That's what context is. Context comes from that word in the Latin that's used to describe the creation of a tapestry. And the word textiles and texture comes from 
comes from that or, or is, is the root of that. So that's important for us to understand. So when we think about context, you can really think of context as all the different backgrounds, the different fabrics, the different textures, the different experiences, the different attitudes, the different biases that people bring with them to a particular situation. So if you were to, you I mean, think about a good story, you know, a good narrative story. There's, you're not going to have much success writing a novel and, and developing characters if you're not giving context to the characters, you know, why they are what they are, what happened to them in the past, right? What what formed and framed who they are and how they've become who they are. We need that information so that we know how to interact with the characters when we read a good story. Same thing's true in organizations in life. We can't begin to even we shouldn't be able to even fathom interacting in the world that we interact in without taking the time to learn about the characters in those stories, right? The story of our life. So we have to know the context behind what makes a person who they are, their experiences, their biases, their backgrounds, like we said. So that's context. And we really need to be a student of context. The next important concept then is that of intelligence. And, and I know we all think we know what intelligence is, but intelligence is changing. Uh, and it's changed dramatically, and there's a lot of different theories on that, spinning back from from early thing. You know, even Carol Dweck, which I mentioned in the first podcast, talks about you know, do we have a fixed or or a growth mindset when it comes to intelligence, for example? But a lot of times we think of intelligence as fixed, right? We get an IQ score, and that IQ score then marks us now for the rest of our life. And there's tons of research that when have gone into intelligence, but what we know now is there's new theories being proposed around intelligence. And it's important to know that uh, whether you agree or not, whether you agree with with uh, uh, traditional understandings of intelligence or, or some of Howard Gardner's ideas on multiple intelligences, et cetera, what we do understand is that intelligence is something that changes uh, over time, it, it, neuroplasticity has shown us that we can actually continue to grow and the whole growth mindset. And so that's kind of the framework, that's kind of the perspective I'm coming from when I talk about intelligence. I don't believe intelligence is something that's set. Intelligence, and then the way I define it in the book, is just your ability to contribute meaning and value in the shortest amount of time possible. So it's having a short learning curve and it's being able to address and recognize the things that are salient, the things that are important given the situation that you find yourself in. And then that manifests by being able to contribute quickly. Now, quickly is relative. I'm, I'm not going to put a time to that and say, well, quickly is the first 36 hours or the first two two minutes or the first 90 days. Uh, quickly is relative to the larger scope of whatever the enterprise is you're engaging in. So I think that's important for us to understand. And the final thing that we talk about in chapter one then is we just introduce the model of three-dimensional thinking and the three mental models. And I'm just going to briefly describe those because we'll save the details of these for other podcasts. But the three mental models include embracing complexity, reframing your experience, which is synchronicity, and then leveraging your learning, which is tacit awareness. So those are three kind of mental models, or I actually refer to them in the chapter as meta skills. These three meta skills then, when converged together, drive and form your capacity to practice the other 3D thinking skills. And the 3D thinking skills then are hindsight, insight, and foresight. 
And again, we'll describe and unpack those later in, in other podcasts. But I just wanted to introduce that to you. And then the chapter closes with a diagram of the holistic model uh, or what we call the contextual intelligence circumplex. And then you see a graphic representation of each of the 12 behaviors that we talked about earlier and how each of those 12 behaviors then are organized into these mental models and 3D thinking frameworks. So, for example, the complexity and foresight behaviors then include future-mindedness, diagnosis, context, intentional leadership, and change agent. The insight behaviors and the tacit awareness include mission-mindedness, communitarian, multicultural leadership, and cognitive diversity. And then the hindsight and synchronicity-based behaviors include uh, wise use of influence, consensus building, influencer, and critical thinker. And how each of those 12 behaviors then relate to each of these three areas. And then you also can see how the three meta skills of embracing complexity then directly relates to foresight, how reframing experience or synchronicity directly relates to hindsight and contributes to accurate hindsight, and then how the uh, leveraging learning or the tacit awareness directly contributes to accurate insight. So that's the framework and that's the model. And that's basically chapter one in a nutshell. So if you're interested in the book, I'd love to get a copy into your hands. I think it's really going to help. And I, I think really it's important for you to even see the framework and see how it integrates together. Because once you begin to recognize the 12 behaviors, begin to ask yourself, how frequently do I practice these behaviors? And then look at how those behaviors relate to insight, hindsight, foresight, and then your understanding of complexity and synchronicity, it really gives you an incredible amount uh, of resources, a incredible amount of, of background information, not only on your own thinking, but also how you can improve these behaviors. Because you might think, oh, those 12 behaviors sounded easy to me. But uh, when you think of, well, these four behaviors cluster together to create your understanding of how you handle complex situations. And you're like, oh, well, that's a different story. I don't do complexity well. Or maybe you have someone on your team who doesn't do complexity well, and you need them to do complexity better. Well, one way to begin to do that is, well, let's look at the 12 behaviors. Four of them are complexity-based behaviors, and it's be interesting to see how frequently they practice those 12 or those four complexity behaviors, again, which leads to foresight. And if we're bad at complexity, then we typically have a, a lower probability of using our foresight accurately put it that way. So that's critical. And you might need that on your team. And same might be true for hindsight or insight. Uh, and again, the hindsight, insight, and foresight is basically past, present, and future. So they're time orientations and they're critical. So I want to get this book in your hands. So if you're interested in that, reach out to me through my website at www.matthewcoots.com. That's M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-U-T-Z.com. And I'd love to get this into your hands. The other thing that I think is important to recognizes I've also developed the contextual intelligence profile and that's a 48 item questionnaire a survey instrument has been psychometrically tested several different times not only by myself but it's been validated by other researchers who have no affiliation with me whatsoever in fact I believe at this point in time there's been at least 12 different dissertations done on this framework and this model and uh, not students of my own at all. So again, completely, you know, random people. Hey, I want to do your profile. And I, of course, I give it for the name of research to use it. And then, well, I'm happy to find out that it's been validated. There is a, on my website, you can also see a technical brief 
on the profile, the CIP or the contextual intelligence profile, the technical brief describes the research that was done, the psychometric instruments or the psychometric uh, analysis that was conducted. So you can uh, have faith in and confidence in the fact that it does reliably and valid uh, and is valid in assessing the frequency in which you practice those 12 behaviors. So if you're interested in that at all, you can reach out to me as well, uh, and we can arrange bulk pricing for you if you need for your organization or your team, or if you just want it for yourself, uh, let me know, and, and we can work out an arrangement for that. But I'm happy to try to get that in your hands as well. So I look forward to hearing from you, and I uh, am excited about the next podcast. See you soon. <music>